Morning. Oh, there we go. Whoa. You can be seated. Elders and wives, would y'all come and, and uh, Mitch, y'all come on, listen, whoever you want to stand with you. We're going to dedicate a little baby girl this morning. Amen. Mitch, you and Stephanie, just come and stand here and face me, please. All right, it's always a joy of ours to be able to, uh, to dedicate a child, and uh, it's absolutely biblical to do so. Jesus was dedicated in the temple, and, and uh, salvation, for those of you that may not know, doesn't come because we pray a dedicatory prayer over the baby, but it is absolutely biblical to acknowledge that this child is a gift from God and that we request God's wisdom and grace and mercy in training up a child. You know, people say, I you know, raised a child. No, you raise corn, but you train a child. <laughs> and the Bible said uh, when we train up a child, it doesn't say raise them, but when you train up a child, and that word in the Bible, train up, it actually means to you cooperate with the way that, that, that child is gifted and bent. And so my oldest one was back there on the drums today, and uh, when he was like two or three, he started beating on pots and pans in the house. He would literally, ain't it right, Mama? He would literally bring out pots and pans and start using them as drums at that early of an age. And by the time he was five years old, he was our official drummer, not because I had anything to do. I wasn't even in leadership at our church because he was the best drummer in the house, five years old. He couldn't even sit on the seat and reach all the pedals. He had this kind of lean on it. And, uh, but we had, in other words, I had to help see what God had put in him. He didn't get that from me. He was gifted by God to play those drums and been playing them all his life. And so we train up a child, and we thank God for This is Bella Ann Hope Bishop. She was born on June the 15th of this year, and this is her mom and dad, Mitch and Stephanie. And uh, Mitch and Stephanie have been part of this church for a long time, and we're just honored to be able to lay our hands upon her and not wake her up. <laughs> Amen. Father, we do acknowledge that Bella is a gift from you, and we thank you for her, and thank you for trusting Mitch and Stephanie and all this family with her. And Father, I pray for her today that she would fulfill her destiny and purpose, for you said she's been fearfully and wonderfully made, and all of her days are written in your book before one of them came into being. And so we thank you for divine destiny, for victory in her life. And in all the days of her life, she'll walk in the will of the Lord. She'll accept you as an early age and fulfill the purpose for which you have sent her, Father. And we give you praise for her, for her mom and dad. We pray wisdom, understanding, and, Lord, that they would see the giftings and the uniqueness that you've placed within their daughter. And, the Lord God, that we would help facilitate that in your purpose and will. And we dedicate her today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We dedicate her to you, God, that you would walk, Lord God, with her every day of her life for the steps of a righteous person is ordered by the Lord and that she'll walk in the path that wherein you have de declared for her in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, give the Lord praise. She is beautiful. She is beautiful. Amen. Now she's waking up, 
and she's going to be aggravated because the preacher is sweet. Now you're stuck with okay. Me. I just preached the sermon with all time. <laughs> all right, amen. I've dedicated them when they're sleeping, I've dedicated them when they were screaming. Hallelujah! All right, everybody doing good? Amen. It's good to see you. Uh, Thank God for Pastor Johanna being obedient to the Lord, and so many of you came and and uh, just were touched, you know, and just urgent urgent needs, urgent requests, at least the ones I prayed for, and and just thank you for responding. Uh, Cleveland, thank you for blowing the shofar this morning, that ram's horn. Amen. And uh, even physically, it was it's a little bit tougher for him now because of some health situations, but he. Uh, he's a trooper. He come on done it anyway. Thank you that for Cleveland for doing that for us. And, and a lot of you may not understand what's going on, uh, maybe, or a few of you. Uh, how many has heard me teach on the uh, the Feast of the Lord before? Well, put your hands down. Let me make it easier on me. How many has never heard me teach on the Feast of the Lord? Okay, that's cool. All, all, all right, good, good. So you're not at a cult or anything. Uh, and but you know, so today I, I'm not, I don't have any notes. I you know I've been doing this a long time, not because I'm smart, but I just want to talk to you out of my heart, and and I I want you to to uh, to understand what these are, what they represent, and what they mean. Uh, we're so glad to Mary Lee Barnes who did the artwork. Is Mary Lee here today? Or? Hey, darling, uh, stand up where we can just applaud her for her artistic uh, gift and. Uh, we do so appreciate uh, her and uh, doing these for us. Um, and, and actually, I think it holds a special place. Uh, I'm sure it does in Mary Lee's heart. Because uh, when you know we talk about her healing of, of that colon cancer uh, many years ago now and uh, didn't know anything about it, God just did a miracle here one night. But it was actually during the Feast of Tabernacles when that occurred. And, uh, and just we just seen some wonderful, special things uh, that occur uh, during that time. Um, to, so to help you understand this, I won't turn there and read the scriptures. Uh, you know, we preachers, we say you can read it later, and probably you don't. But in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, uh, these feasts of the Lord, and let me just say this, the word feast here, when an American thinks of feast, what you think of turkey dinner or something like that, Thanksgiving. Get that out of your mind. The word feast translated feast into English is a Hebrew word and it's pronounced moed and it means appointed times, specific times. So when we say feast, we're really saying appointed times or specific times. Now it, there's not a nation of people on the earth that don't have celebratory days, days and holidays that they have set aside to mark different things. But uh, And there's nothing wrong with that. Even the most prim primitive people have special days or holidays or the word holiday comes from the term holy days and it actually originates with these feasts. Now in the Bible uh, in Leviticus 23 is the only place these feasts are mentioned Old Testament and New Testament throughout. Uh, Jesus kept the feast when he came uh, even after Jesus was buried, uh, crucified, buried and resurrected uh, we find in Acts 18 the Apostle Paul was still keeping these appointed times. Uh, even after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they're very important. Now the reason a lot of Christians get kind of messed up on stuff is because they have no paradigm, no bearing for these feasts and what they mean and what they represent to us. And a real tragic thing has happened to most Christians 
is that we have been separated from our Jewish roots. In other words, our, our Bible was written by Jewish people. How many know Jesus was a, a Jew? Uh, God gave these feasts to the Jewish people. And we, if you're not a Jewish by birth, you're a Gentile, and we have been grafted in, the Bible says. And, and, so, and so we're thankful for that. Uh, but God has a calendar that he's working off of. Now, the calendar that you and I use every day uh, is, a, is called a Gregorian calendar. Uh, in the uh, 16th century, it was named after Pope Gregory, and it is a heathen calendar. Now, you don't have to go home and throw your calendar away, but all our months are named after pagan deities or Roman uh, rulers like July, Julius Caesar, August, Augustus Caesar, and so forth and so on. March is a, a, a Roman deity, the god of war. And so all of our calendar that you and I, the days we reference even, and Monday is moon day, and uh, it, it, everything that surrounds us is pagan. Uh, and we don't think about it because we grew up with it, and we just think it's part of normal life. And that doesn't necessarily make it demonic or evil, but Satan is behind that to separate us from God's calendar. Now, we don't, you know, when... Uh, there are seven, these are seven appointed times. And in Leviticus 23 is the only place in the entirety of the Bible that God's word lists them chronologically, beginning with the first one, which is Passover, and continuing through all seven of them until we get to the Feast uh, or the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the reason I'm preaching this today, I, I've, I've made God a promise in my heart many years ago, some 20 plus years ago, when I knew about this. I didn't grow up in church being taught this. I'd never even heard of it. When I was a young Christian, I didn't. I had no bearing. I never heard one sermon about the feast of the Lord. Didn't know anything about it. Had no paradigm for it at all. And if you understand God's calendar, you won't get all messed up by a lot of craziness that goes on in Christendom. And I mean, you know, people telling you all kind of crazy stuff because God is a God of order, and God is working off a calendar. And so, uh, these seven uh, feasts. Now, how many feasts are there? Seven. How many days of the week you got? So we, we, don't, we don't have uh, 12 days of the week. We don't have an eight-day week. We don't have a five-day week. We have a seven-day week. Why is that? Because God uh, decided that the week would be seven days. Now, for six days, he created the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. He didn't rest because he was tired, because deity doesn't get tired. He rested in the sense of completion, and he had fulfilled everything that needed to be fulfilled uh, in regard uh, to creation. And so uh, seven is the number of completion, and it's a very important number in the Bible, and it's all throughout there. Let me, let me share a little of that order there. <laughs> and uh, the uh, uh, seven is all through the scriptures. Uh, every uh, end of every week, on the seventh day, the Jews were required to have a Sabbath. And that actually begins Friday night sundown and ends Saturday night sundown. And then uh, every seventh year, they were commanded to allow the land to rest to, and not to plow the fields or plant anything that seventh year to, for it to have this, what the Bible calls this seventh rest. And then the Bible commanded them to go seven times seven, every uh, seven times seven years, be 49 years, and then on that next year, it's a 50th year, you may have heard of it called it's the year of Jubilee. And on that time, and that would happen every 50th year, all slaves were set free, and all people's debts were canceled. I'd take a year of Jubilee. How about you? 
tear up all your bills and say we get a reset, we get to start over. Um, and then all through the Bible, uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation brings the, 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 the fulfillment of all things. It talks about seven bowls and seven seals and, and all these things. All, you just see the word seven throughout the Bible. And so it's not nothing unusual that God would have seven appointed times for him to interact with man and for it to be God's calendar. And this is God's redemptive calendar, and, uh, and God is still working off of it today. Now, uh, three of these feasts, which is Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, were mandated. If you was a Jew and you was above uh, the age of 18 and, and a male, you were commanded to come uh, to Jerusalem to keep these feasts. And they would travel and go great uh, distances. And in fact, when, when Jesus uh, was born in Bethlehem, uh, that's the reason that they were coming. They weren't coming just because Caesar wanted to do a tax like you've heard up growing up. Uh, Caesar was no stupid ruler, and so he knew when to tax the people and when they would be there during these feasts. And so all these things you see are in congruence with this in the Bible. Now, last Monday, this past Monday at sundown, began the Feast of Tabernacles for this year. And uh, the, the calendar, the, the, these feasts are working off of the lunar calendar. Uh, it's a 354-day year calendar. You and I live our lives working off that Gregorian calendar, uh, 365, and it's, and, it's, and it's off the sun. Uh, it's a solar calendar. And so uh, you, that's why it's different every year. Some years, uh, like now, the Feast of Tabernacles will hit in September. Some years it will be in later in October, but it always changes. Uh, Passover will always be e either in March or April. And uh, so because we don't understand these things and we, we've been separated uh, in our history from our Jewish roots, then we, we miss a lot of revelation and we mess up a lot of stuff in the Bible. Uh, and and we, we misinterpret things because we don't have this as our background. Uh, one thing is absolutely uh, sure, and I'll just begin with the first one, is Passover. Now, there's only ever been one Passover, and that occurred over 3,500 years ago in Egypt. And that's when they were under the bondage of Pharaoh, a, a cruel taskmaster. God's people had been there, and they were there actually as a people for 430 years in bondage. And uh, they're the ones, the Jews are the ones that, that built the Egyptian pyramids that you see, the Sphinx and all those things. The Jews built that out of slave labor. And uh, they were there under... Under force, they actually went there under Joseph in the beginning, and it saved them from a famine. But then the Pharaohs uh, changed, and the word Pharaoh is not one guy. It's like our word president, and it changes. And so the Pharaoh that was uh, ruling in that day uh, was cruel, beating their backs, and it was just a horrible existence as a people. And uh, God sent Moses in there to deliver them out of that bondage. He had heard their cry. And there was nothing really, you know, attractable about those people. They, they had under their fingernails the clay of the slime pits of Egypt where they worked as slaves and, and done the bidding of the Egyptians. And, 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 and yet Pharaoh was looked at like a god, and he was worshipped as a god. And so God would come, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened against uh, setting those, those Hebrews free. And uh, so uh, there were ten plagues that God sent. Uh, those plagues, each one of those were specific, and they attacked or went up against a, a uh, Egyptian deity. 
something that they worshipped. And so each of those, those, their gods, if you will, which were false, but they were dismantled before the eyes of the Egyptians and before Pharaoh. And, of course, the last plague was that the firstborn, uh, God warned them, the firstborn of every house that did not have the blood of a lamb applied to it, the, the, the firstborn of that house would die. And, uh, but he said that if the blood was applied in faith, if they would take the blood of a, of a lamb and they would apply it to the, to the doorpost and to the lintel up above and just, just get in the house. And it, it had nothing to do with how good the person was or had nothing to do with their performance or anything. If they just had the blood on the house and would get in the house and stay in that house, then when, when uh, the plague come, it would pass over that house and there would be no death. And, uh, and, and so there was one Passover, and every Passover celebration in remembrance since then has been done in remembrance of that one Passover. And so just like there was only one Passover, there's only been one crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And there's only one time that his body's been pierced, and there's only been one time that he shed his blood. And that he was, as Paul described him, he said, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. And Jesus died one time, and he shed his blood one time, and that one time shedding of his blood... Uh, done exactly what Jesus came to do and he took away the sin of the world. He didn't take it the way of the sin of Christians. He didn't take away of the sin of people that confess their sins. He took away of the sin of the world because God don't need your permission to forgive you. Uh, God's not angry with you. God's not mad with you. The hell you may be experiencing your, in your life is not because God is paying you back for your sin. Now there are consequences to bad decisions that humans make. But don't confuse that, that there is a Heavenly Father that is trying to get you. If God was trying to get you, you would you'd be dead. You would never hear the bullet coming. You'd be done gone. Uh, God can get you. if he, God's not getting anybody. God came to save you. God came to deliver you. God came to set you free. And so, so these appointed times are times that God set up. And, he, and, and this is his chronological redemptive calendar that he's working off of. Now, I'm going to probably say a few things that you've never heard. And so it's, a, it's cool if you don't believe it, and especially if it's the first time you heard it. You go, wow, what's that, what, you know, what's that guy? You know, you know. But you got to, come on now, you got to give me this. Most of what you believe is you just believed it because somebody like me with a microphone told you to believe it. And you went, mm-hmm. But you didn't come up with it on your own sitting at the house with a Bible in your lap. Come, come on now, let's just be honest, okay? And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I want you to believe what I'm telling you. You know, but, but, you know, we study the word and, and, and be like the Bereans in the book of Acts to see if the things that are preached are so or not. Uh, in, Passover, this is the beginning of the calendar with God's people. And he said this would be the beginning of their calendar and it begins with Passover because Passover, all these other six feasts or appointed times, are, uh, uh, they're built upon this. In other words, everything begins when we meet Jesus, when we meet the Passover lamb. And so that, that Passover is, is typified by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, this is something, I don't care if you're Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Nazarene, Tangerine, okay? You, nobody argues, and you don't have to twist any scriptures. You don't have to make up nothing. You don't have to be some weird denominational, this is what we believe. You don't have to do none of that, okay? If you got any sense in any Bible, and any, I don't care if you're Baptist, Methodist, Pentecost, it don't make no difference. Everybody agrees Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover. Can I get an amen or a grunt, okay? Okay, now, so that's not haphazardly. That's not a haphazard event. Jesus Christ was crucified on the feast of Passover. All right, the Passover, 
it happens on the Jewish calendar in the month of, it's called Nisan, on the 14th day of that month. And the very next day begins another feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now this feast right here, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, is a feast that lasts seven days. Uh, on the first day of that feast, now this is important, listen to me, on the first day of that feast is the Sabbath, no matter when it falls. Now remember that, the, that God gave them and the, the Jews had a weekly Sabbath and they still do. And the weekly Sabbath is when? Friday night at sundown and it ends when? See, because we think our day starts at 6 a.m. when we got a cup of coffee in our hand or something. It doesn't. God's day starts in the evening. In creation, when God made the days, it says the evening and the morning was the first day. And the evening and the morning was the second. You with me? So God's day begins at, at sundown. A little bit different way of thinking. That's God's way. All right? So on the very next day, so what? So we got Passover this day. Uh, this is the day of unleavened bread. On the first day of this seven-day feast, it is a Sabbath. It is declared a Sabbath. It is called a holy convocation, a sacred assembly. No work can be done. Right? And it doesn't matter. So, so this Sabbath of this first day of this seven-day feast uh, can hit any day of the week. So there's more Sabbaths. Now, if you don't know that, that's why you believe Jesus was crucified on Friday and got out the grave on Sunday morning. But that's the lie. See how, see how many amens I got for that? And, and I don't blame you because that's what we all grew up here and then we think it and we call it Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. But none of that's true. It's all tradition. The Bible never says any of that. The Bible did say that Jesus said, I would be in the grave how many days? Three days and how many nights? Now, does the Bible say that? Jesus said he'd be in the grave three days and three nights, just like Jonah was in the, in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Would somebody tell me what three days and three nights are in hours? How many hours is that? All right, so you tell me how you get 72 hours from Friday to Sunday morning. Can you do it? Can't be true then, can it? But you celebrate it every year. Oh, it's Resurrection Sunday, Easter, bunny, eggs. Now, I'm not going to go to war with the Easter bunny, and I'm not going to try to kill Santa Claus. And you have to work within the culture that you find yourself in, but just have enough sense to know what's true and what ain't true. You say, what does it matter? Well, only because it's true and it's not true. I mean, that's why it matters. They, they asked Jesus one time, they said, you tell us what shall be the sign that you're the real Messiah. He said, for no sign shall be given this wicked and evil perverse generation. He said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the, three days and three nights, Jesus said, in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three, night, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Can you get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday? No, sir. Yet we've believed it all of our lives. See, people, it's my job to aggravate you, see. We also believe that they were three wise men <coughs> at the manger. The Bible never teaches that. Can't be. Total lie. They never there. Get them out of the nativity scene because they were never there. See how quiet that is. But see, you believe it. You know why you believe it? Because you've heard it so much. And because Walmart sells nativity scenes with a picture of them, three of them standing there. And you think they were there. But the Bible is very clear. 
They were not there. And that's a whole other story, but they were not there. Now, that's what sent me on a path of trying to see what is true and what's not true. Because when I began to read the Bible for myself some 30, 40 years ago, I realized that a lot of stuff I'd been taught and told was not true because it wasn't in the Bible. And, and I said, if I believed that all my life, and I was in plays in church playing the wise man. Okay? I was also in church playing where they would have us all in the line and we would have the devil on this side and heaven on this side and we would have God in the middle and we would do plays and we would walk up and they, you know, they would check your name in the book and they would say, okay, you get to go to heaven, all, you know, you know, tough nookies for you, you go to hell. And we have people screaming. And so then we would give an altar call at the end of that play and we, we would scare people and get them all up there crying. But that's not in the Bible and that's not how it's going to be. If you're in a line at the end, I just want to kind of tell you this. If you're in a line and you see people ahead of you getting put in hell, you didn't make it. Everybody in that line's in the hell line. I'm just saying. You're, you're and I, as Christians, judgment's already coming. Jesus was judged on our behalf. All we go into heaven for is rewards and blessings. You, 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 you don't stand for God and see if you made it. Did I make heaven? Did I get in? Did I hit the lottery? Am I good enough? No, you're not good enough, and you know you didn't make it. Jesus made it, and you're in Him, and that's why you made it. So it's not arrogance. It's just I, my, my confidence is not in Dale. It's in Jesus, and so I'm already seated in heavenly places in Christ. Now, the first day of this seven-day feast. And I know if you're hearing this, like, oh, it hurts my head. The first day is a Passover, uh, is a uh, first day of this after Passover is a Sabbath. The last day of this seven-day feast is a Sabbath, okay? I just want you to get that because that's, that's how you, you know, if I wanted to take the time to prove to you, because actually Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday, okay? And the Sabbath that they were dealing with, because Jesus was crucified on Passover. And remember, they took, he died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then the women were going to try to do some preparation for his body, and they went and asked that he be allowed to be buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb in his grave. And the women didn't have time to really get it done. And, and, and they actually said, let's go ahead and break their legs, all three of them that's being crucified, so they'll go ahead and die because we can't have them on the cross during the Holy Sabbath, the Sabbath. We've got to hurry up and, get, let them be, hurry up and be dead because the Sabbath they're talking about was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because he was crucified this day. And so at sundown that day, it started this feast. So they had to hurry up and wrap it up. And they, they went to break Jesus' legs and they said he's already dead. And just to be sure, the Roman soldier thrust his sword into his side and out of his side come blood and water. Which is all symbolic in other sermons. But they got him off the cross and they buried him quickly before sundown. Because they didn't have time to do the normal. That's why the ladies come back on what you call Resurrection Sunday to finish up what they didn't have time to do because of that Sabbath right there. That, the Jews wouldn't violate that Sabbath. And so there was uh, Jesus was crucified on Wednesday, so that Sabbath Wednesday night started first day of unleavened bread. This goes on for seven days. Now, on at the, after the Sabbath, this, the Bible says the feast of first fruit. It doesn't say like that was 14th of Nisan, the 15th of Nisan, and then some people teach the 16th, but that just throws you back to Good Friday and, and mm, 
none of that. It don't work. And because you have to understand about that Sabbath to understand that it's a different Sabbath than the Friday Sabbath that, that, that you think about. And that's clear in the book of John. And it says there was a special high day. And the, the New International Version said there was a special Sabbath that day. And the New Testament teaches that there's other Sabbaths besides the weekly Sabbath. And I know that may be confusing, but it's important. So because God is working off of this, and all of it is precise and exactly as God intended. So Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was put in the grave. Unleavened bread, leaven means decay or, or fermentation, or it actually is symbolic in the Bible most of the time uh, for sin and error. There was no sin. There was no, he was the spotless lamb. Uh, he, his body saw no corruption. And then on the feast of first fruits, Jesus was resurrected. Now that's a fact that Jesus was crucified then, put in the grave then, and he come out on first fruit. And Paul said he's the first fruit, our first fruit, the first fruit of many brethren. So Jesus was resurrected on the, the first fruit, okay, on this day, on this particular feast. Now nobody argues that God is working precisely and exactly off of his calendar with the events that are taking place on earth, right or wrong. All right, so now Jesus is resurrected. And so now we're in this time period, and Jesus now in his resurrected form hangs around the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Is that in the Bible? So he's seen many times of different people, different groups. One time of 500, he's seen of the 120. He's, he visits his uh, apostles that are left, 11 of them. Judas has hung himself. He visits them three different times. Okay, He visits Peter privately and separately. And yet he sees him again publicly when they're out fishing. And he says, children, have you any meat? So Jesus made many appearances in his resurrected body. He's on earth for 40 days, 40 nights. Now he gets ready to, to uh, go back to the Father. And he's out on uh, the Mount of what we call the Mount of Ascension. He's just to ascend back to heaven. And, and he tells them that he, he must go away. But he tells them not to depart Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. And he tells them to tarry into Jerusalem until, the, in, until they filled with power, from, until he sends the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so, so on the 40th day, Jesus ascends. He is seen by many. The angels accompany him in the clouds going back to the Father. And the angels are standing there, and they even look at the disciples, and they said, Why stand you here gazing? For the same Jesus that you have seen leave here shall come again in like manner that you've seen him go. Okay? And so uh, they go back to Jerusalem. They go in a place called the Upper Room. And now we're in Acts chapter 1, and, and they're hanging out in there. How many days did they stay in the upper room? Some of you know this stuff. Ten days, okay? And Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost, this is what this feast is here, the feast of weeks. All right, so what this feast was, and it commanded in Leviticus 23, after first fruits, they would start counting. Seven weeks times seven. Seven times seven is? And the next day begins the Feast of Weeks, okay? The, uh, this is also called Shabbat. Uh, the Hebrews call it, the, that's what it means, is weeks. Uh, and it's called Pentecost. Some people call it the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. So when people say I'm Pentecostal, they mean they're 50th. They don't even know what they mean. But that's what Pentecost means. And so the Bible says in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, 
the Holy Spirit came with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And he filled all the house where they were assembled. And cloven tongues of fire appeared above their heads upon each of them. And they began to speak in other tongues and magnify God. And, 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 and they poured out from that upper room. And Peter uh, had, the, had the honor to preach that day. And when he got through preaching, 3,000 souls were saved and added to the church. And it was literally the birth of the church and the birth of the church age. And now the Holy Spirit was with us and in us as believers, and grace had arrived in full, and the church had been born in the earth. Now, did that happen exactly in congruence with the feast? Yeah, it did. So the coming of the Holy Spirit, and listen, and the birthing of the church happened in exact time with the fourth feast, the Feast of Weeks. Now, what they would do on this feast here, the reason that, that, that uh, she's got the Ten Commandments there is because the first one of these feasts, after they came out of Egypt, they went seven weeks. The very next day, Moses was on the mountain. He brought down the tablets during that f first feast of weeks. And, of course, he, man couldn't keep it, and he broke the tablets, and all that was symbolic, and, and, and that's a whole other story. But on the, and, and that day, that they broke the tablets. That Moses threw them down and broke them. 3,000 people died, the Bible says. How many died? How many, died? How many lived the day that, that Peter preached on, on this? 3,000 lived. See what grace does? See, the law killeth, but the Spirit gives life. Ain't you glad for grace? And so this feast, they are commanded the Jews to bring two loaves of bread with leaven. That means as far as our outward performance and appearance, we're not perfect. There's going to be sin in there. None of us are outwardly perfect. Inwardly, we are. They would bring two loaves of bread and make ground with a fine flour. You know what? Those two loaves of bread represent Jew and Gentile. And Paul said now that he's tore down the middle wall of partition and God has created one new man in Christ Jesus. So there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor bond nor free, nor male nor female. For we are all one, he says, in Christ. Amen. And, and so we have, we have the Feast of Weeks. And, and that happened in congruence with the feast and exactly in Acts 2 on. In other words, so everything that God is doing up to this point is exactly in harmony and in congruence with his feast. It's not haphazardly, okay? Now, it's important you get that because when I get to these fall feasts, it's important you get that. Now, would you agree with that? Do you understand enough that you understand that this is exactly what has occurred? So these four feasts have been totally fulfilled, and we look back upon them. Now, when you do communion as a Christian, we're remembering Passover. It's just an element of Passover. And, and a lot of Christians don't even realize that. But we're remembering that Passover when he shed his blood and he was the Passover lamb. We're, we're remembering that. And so everything God did. Now, the only three feasts that are yet to be fulfilled is these three here. Now, we, you and I right now in time, as far as God's calendar, we are living between here and here. This is called the church age. This is where we're living right now. We're somewhere in between here. This, this is where we stand as a Christian today. We're right here. Now, it would not make any sense for this God that is such a precise God of, of order. And this is his calendar. It says this is the feast of the Lord. In other words, these are the appointed times of the Lord. Man didn't come up with this. The Jews didn't invent this. This is God's appointed times. This is what God designed and God desires, and this is his calendar. And why would he fulfill four things in, in Christ's first coming and the birth of the church in, in exact congruence with these feasts? And then why would he ignore these last three like they don't even exist? 
Does that make any sense to anybody that God would just do these so precisely and the, these, these events that changed the world and created Christianity that he would ignore these three here that are yet to happen like they don't even count? But to believe what most of us believe or we're raised to believe as Christians, we would, that's, what, that's what we're saying. Ah, it don't matter now. No, it's just because we're ignorant of the word of God. So this is what God's working on. And that's why I don't get freaked out by a lot of prophets. And, weird. and I believe in prophets and I believe in prophecy. But I don't believe in pathetic. I believe in the prophetic. And so when you rent a billboard and you tell me, Lord's coming on this day, I just pass you by on by because I know it ain't happening. Water, please. Something's got my mouth dry. These three feasts that are yet to be fulfilled point to God's calendar of his second coming. These first three represent his first coming. This represents the birth of the church. These three represent the second coming of the Lord. And as surely as he came and Jesus was crucified on this, then these were going to happen exactly like God intended them to happen. And, uh, and so... These all occur, all three of these feasts occur in the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar in a relatively short period of time, which is where we are right now in God's calendar. That's why I'm teaching this because the Bible in Leviticus 23 tells me to proclaim these feasts at their times, and that's why I'm doing this. Now, these feasts, we, these feasts we look back upon and we celebrate and we see the fulfillment of the Messiah in all of them. These feasts we look forward to. And by the fact that I keep the Feast of Tabernacles and even talk about it at Grace Point, I'm declaring to you that the Lord is going to return again. And he is coming, and he's going to do exactly like his, his calendar has predicted and like God has, has planned. Now, all these feasts that you see happen on, remember, the Jews are going after a lunar calendar. So they look at the moon. All these feasts occur, like right now, Outside, you go outside tonight, we're a little bit past the full moon because the Feast of Tabernacles, which began Monday evening at sundown, begins on the full moon. Okay, look outside, it's bright, wonderful, whatever. All seven of these feasts begin with the exception of this one when the moon is full. This is the only feast that occurs at the new moon, which that means it's the beginning of the moon's appearance in the sky and there's just a, a sliver of the crescent of the moon visible. Now, it's important that if you get that, because this is where you're going to think that I'm a heretic. Uh, I actually had a dude one time leave the church because of what I'm going to teach it. Listen, God don't tell me when he's coming, okay? Let me get that straight. And like I've always said, I'm just a man that loves God and has studied his word for now for 40-something years, okay? And they don't make me no expert, and I don't claim to be a theologian. But I ain't dumb as I used to be, Okay? Um, and God's got this in the Bible for a reason. Now, there's no way that God's going to fulfill all these like he has, exactly in congruence with the feast, and ignore these last three. Now, this is called the Feast of Trumpets. Now, can I hold your chauffeur? Now, th th there's two types of trumpets in the Bible. This is a ram's horn. This is a literal ram's horn here that's been hollowed out to make this chauffeur. Uh, don't let the kid yourself. These things are tough to play. I've tried a few times, and it, this... Just, it's just air blowing through a hole, but Cleveland can, can do it. But this ram's horn, and when you first buy these things, man, whew, they smell rough because you still got some 
smell of the ram in there going on. <laughs> but the Bible speaks of silver trumpets and it speaks of the shofar. This is what this is. The shofar is the one that is why this is pictured on here because this is the trump. This is the trumpet that Jesus Himself in First Thessalonians four sixteen is going to. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and so shall we meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. That's what the Word of God says. Amen. And, and it says the Lord himself shall do it. God ain't sending nobody to get his bride. He gonna, if a man's smart, he's going to pick up his own bride himself. You know what I'm saying? So the Lord's coming after his own bride for himself. And the Lord's coming, and, and, and he's coming with the sound of the blowing of the shofar. Now, there's two primary reasons that the Jews blowed the shofar. One was to assemble the people and to declare and summon the people to meet with God or to declare that God's appointed time. That's why I asked Cleveland to blow the shofar because we are in an appointed time with the Lord. And I just want you to understand this stuff and you hear that shofar blown. And this is, uh, you know, it's just special to God. God's the one that came up with it. Now, they would blow it also in times of war. And this is what they were blowed in Joshua when uh, the walls of Jericho came down. Uh, This is the same instrument that that, uh, Gideon blew uh, in the Bible in his conquest with the Midianites. And this is the same instrument that Nehemiah said, if anybody attacks the rebuilding of the wall, he said, blow this trumpet and we'll know to assemble in that place and rise up and protect the wall in that place. But this is also the, the, what they would blow at the Feast of Trumpets. And um, this feast here, like I said, occurs on the crescent. Thank you, Cleveland. It occurs on the crescent of the new moon. So now this is where people get confused and people think they know what they, you know, whatever. Now the Lord, you know, it can be shown in the Bible and, and, and other things that even the birth of Jesus and, and all, all the things he did, like the things that Jesus said. Like in John 7 when Jesus, if you understood the feast, and it talked about on the last and great day of the feast. And, and what was going on with them is the Jewish priest had gone down to the, the pool of Siloam. And they had dipped into the water, and, and they would, with great procession on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would bring the water uh, to the temple, and they would pour it out as a sacrifice, and they would pray for rain. And, um, and at the time that that was going on, Jesus spoke up on the last and great day of the Feast. In John 7, it says, And Jesus, with a loud voice, said, Whosoever is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And, uh, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus was saying, I'm the fulfillment of the feast. I, I'm the fulfillment of that. And, and all these statements and all these things that Jesus did, they were all in congruence with the feast. There, it's all right there in your Bible. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is associated with that new moon. So that's why that they don't know exactly what day it's going to hit on because sometimes the new moon is concealed by clouds and the weather. And that's why the, the Sanhedrin in the Jewish law, they would always have to have two priests to confirm that they saw the crescent of a new moon. And by two witnesses of the, of the new moon, then they would, they would declare to blow the shofar. And when the people of Israel ho- heard the shofar blow, and then the other guy that's you know, half a mile away, he hears it, he blows it. And, 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 and people, because everybody didn't live in Jerusalem, they would know that the Feast of Trumpets had begun and they would begin to celebrate it. That's why the Bible talks about no man knows the day or the hour. 
Now, what we think that means, if nobody don't know when the Lord's coming, he'd come on 4th of July while we're eating watermelon. The Lord's first coming and the Lord's crucifixion, all that didn't happen haphazardly. It happened on God's calendar. So what I'm telling to you, just to cut to the chase, is when the rapture of the church, by the way, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but the word Bible is not in the Bible, so don't freak out. But the catching away of the saints is going to happen on one year exactly on the Feast of Trumpets. Now, I don't know when. But the Lord ain't going to come while you eat watermelon. He's not coming while you got Santa Claus around. In the He's not coming. And I don't mean that arrogant. That's where people get mad, you know. Well, he thinks he knows. All I'm telling you is what the Bible says. The Bible said you would know the season. That's appointed times. And in fact, you can read First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and it's talking about the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord, because in first in chapter 4, verse 16, it's where he says, For the Lord himself shall descend. And he goes on. If, can you just put up First Thessalonians 5? And beginning in verse 1, and let's just read a little bit. It actually, see, a lot of Christians run around thinking you ain't going to know when to look. Now, this feast is real important that you watch carefully. Watch, for you don't know. Watch. You got to, and, and so the coming of the Lord is watch. All right? But what he says, but concerning the times and seasons, see, brethren, you don't have any need that I write to you. Why? Because you're supposed to know what I'm teaching you. You're supposed to know the seasons and the times. But Satan has removed that knowledge from us, so we don't know. But Paul's writing to these Jews. He said, there's no reason I write. For you yourself know perfectly, you know this, he, Paul said. He said, you know this, guys, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Next one. For when they say, now we got they and us. They ain't saved. Us is. See how bad grammar that was? Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Next one. But you, see, that's they, but this is us now. But you, brethren, y'all save people. You people that go to Grace Point. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. The Bible teaches you that you're not supposed to think that the rapture of the Lord is going to come and take you like a thief. That you just ain't got no clue. Lord, come, snatch me out my shoes, here we go. You know, it's in the book. It says it's not going to come as a thief to the Christians because we know the seasons. Next verse. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night and we're not of the darkness. Next verse. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. I'm like reading the Bible. Let's just read on. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who are drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. I ain't worried about God whooping on me. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify another, just as you also are doing. The days don't take you as, you know who the Lord's coming is going to take as, as a thief? People that don't know God and they don't know this, but I'm trying to teach you. Now, every year when it approaches the Feast of Tabernacles, in my heart, I'm saying, is this the year, Lord? Is this the year? Now, the reason it says that you, in Matthew 25 that you, no man knoweth the day nor the hour, and that's where they try to use that verse, you know, to, you know, like, yeah, he's trying to say when the Lord. You ain't seen me rent no billboard and put no date on it. I don't know when the Lord's coming, 
what year, but I know this, when he does come, it's not going to be haphazardly and just any old time and, you know, spinning the wheel, let's go on this day. He's going to come in congruence with his feast because everything about the Lord's coming has got to do with trumpet, and he's going to come on the feast of trumpets just like the Bible says he is, and he says to be watchful. So he didn't come this year. So just chill. you got another year. Now, if that makes you mad, I, I guess you just have to find somewhere else where you can go and somebody tell you lies and tradition. But that's when. It, hey, and like I've always said, I'm just this human guy, and if he comes on the 4th of July while we, you know, sparklers and marshmallows and, or, or watermelon, and we're going up and flying through the clouds, I'm going to look over at you and go, you know what? Man, that's my bad. I thought I knew what I was talking about. But I still win either way. So God says you'll know the seasons. When you see the fig tree budding forth, you'll know that summer's not at hand. The Jews were taught these seasons, God's calendar. And so on one year at the Feast of Trumpets, he's coming. The trumpet's going to blow. And he's not going to ignore, just like he did everything in congruence with these, he's not going to ignore these three. And so this is the Feast of Trumpets. Right after that starts a nine-day period the Jews call the Days of Awe. And it comes to the Day of Atonement. I don't have time to talk a lot about that. And then after that ninth day, then we begin what we're in now is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the seventh-day feast. It's the Golden Age. It's the Feast of Harvest. It's the most wonderful time of all. This is where the Jews would, or, and, and Orthodox Jews today, they build little booths, and it's, they're called sukkots. And uh, the, uh, a sukkah is just one, and sukkot, O-T at the end, is plural. And they build these little booths, and they leave openings in them, and it reminds them of their exodus out of Egyptian bondage when they traveled as pilgrims and didn't have a permanent dwelling or a home. And, they, and, and it looks forward to the day of what's called like the, 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 the culmination of all things is where, where the Lord himself, like the Bible says, comes and tabernacles with us. And he lives with us and dwells with us. And he reigns uh, 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 from Jerusalem and and we, we see the fulfillment of all that in the Bible. You know, there's only one part of that wall of the old temple that's even in uh, Israel. And uh, it's really outside. And sometimes in some of your Bibles, you may see a, a, uh, an archway. And that's actually the archway that Jesus rode through uh, on the baby donkey. And it still exists there. And right outside that, the Muslims have planted planted they they, they they the muslims have a cemetery uh, right the, you know because they control that mount and, and they control all that and they've put a cemetery because of the prophecies that they heard the jews messiah is going to come back through that uh, archway again and he will return to jerusalem uh and so uh they've put a cemetery there on purpose because they know he wouldn't desecrate the dead and rise through on graves is what they say and then they have sealed that archway and that wall uh, the Muslims have with 27 feet 8 inches of steel reinforced concrete and rebar. They don't mean for nobody to get through there. Okay? But the Bible says when the Lord returns, he's coming back to that same mount that he ascended from. And uh, it says, uh, Zechariah prophesied that when his foot touches it, there shall be, the earth shall cleave in two. 
if you stand on that mount and you look straight into Jerusalem, you're looking right at that gate. And it, I don't know, but it's my guess that when the Lord does that and the earth opens up, that 27 feet, 8 inches of steel reinforced concrete is going to be sucked right into the hole. And the Lord himself shall ride in on a horse. And it says, with him shall be ten thousands of thousands of his saints with him. And on the breastplates of the horses, it says, that's our holiness unto the Lord. And he shall ride into Jerusalem again. That's going to happen. And everything God's going to do, he's going to do it in congruence with these feasts. And, and, and so none of this doesn't uh, freak me out. It just gives me peace that God is still working his plan like he always has. And people get freaked out about all kind of stuff, and they just make up stuff. And they, But this is God's calendar. He's the one that wrote the book. He's the one that appointed these seven appointed times. And he's the one that's going to work off of these. And he has fulfilled these, these um, four. We're living right here. And this is all we're waiting on right now is the, is, the, is the sound of that trumpet of that shofar to blow. And when it does, we're going to be called up to be with the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be uh, with the Lord. And, 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 and it's going to lead us right into this final feast of tabernacles. And it's the most joyous feast. And Jesus celebrated it. The Apostle Paul continued to celebrate it. And, and, and see, and the thing that you see about the Jewish people, and Paul said that's why he said in Hebrews, he said, my heart's desire, and he talked about this in Romans, is that for Israel is to be saved. Because in, in, in Israel, there is no temple. Uh, there is no animal sacrifices. And every Jew wants to be truly forgiven by God. Now they try to be forgiven by doing good deeds. But none of that works, and they don't nobody feel peace about that. Because there's only one way that you enjoy the forgiveness that God has already given us, and that's by putting your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Because when John was baptizing in the River Jordan, he pointed, and you hear me say this all the time, but it's in the Bible, it's so important, and most of the church still don't know this. But he said, Behold the Lamb of God, it taketh away the sin of the world. Now see, the only, only question you've got to ask yourself is, did he do it or not? And was he a liar? Because the last thing he ever said on the cross was, it is finished. Now, if he didn't do everything that he was sent to do, which he said was to take away the sin of the, and it says that over and over in the Bible, that he, when he died and he shed his blood, see, the only reason God forgives you is not because you ask him to. What causes the God of the universe to forgive anybody? One thing, the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That word means forgiveness of sin. So if you think God forgives you because you pray hard enough or you cried a lot, or you're really sorry, you can knock it off, man. And that's why when you really screw up and you do it, you know, screw up bad, and, 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 you, and you tell God, I'm sorry for doing that, please forgive me, and then you'll ask him about 20 times to forgive you. You know why? Because you don't believe in your own prayer. And what you're doing is you're waiting to feel forgiven. And you just hope he did, and, oh, God, I'm so sorry, I won't never do it again. Well, man, don't make all them promises because you'll do it again most of the time. I hope you don't. Don't do all that. There's only one reason that God forgives man in the Bible, and that's because of the shedding of blood. When's the last time Jesus shed blood? That means he forgave all sin. And so you have to ask yourself, and this is where grace is different. Did Jesus take away the sin of the world? 
You really believe that? Well, that includes your sin. And that includes sin you ain't even done yet. And if you would understand that you are forgiven by God, then you would sin less, not sin more. And that's the reason God's not angry anymore. And so preachers that get up and preach God's angry and he sent a hurricane and he's trying to drown some people in Houston to get your attention, all that's lies. Because that's not who God is. Never has been. He's God of grace. God's not mad. Consequences of sin are real. You, I, I say this over and over. Okay, you go down, you rob the bank with a gun, you take their money, they're going to lock you up for that. You're probably going to do some time. You're going to be in jail and everybody's not going to be sweet to you. Okay? But don't get in jail and say God's trying to teach me something. Don't get in jail and say God sent me here. You sent yourself there because you made a bad decision. And God loves you. And before you ever robbed the bank, you was already forgiven of it. So in the back of the patrol car, you know, you don't want to say, God, forgive me for robbing the bank. Because you're already forgiven. And I know some people don't like that, and a lot of Christians don't like it, because they think, you know, that they get to hold the card on that, but you don't. I don't need your permission to forgive you. I can forgive you even if it ticks you off. I don't want your forgiveness. Too late. Already give it. Ah, there you go. Take that. That's kind of way it is with God. God forgave man. The Bible says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the sin of the world unto himself, not imputing man's sin or trespasses to them anymore. God has no record of your sin, and your sin account has a zero balance. If you would believe that, it would change the way you live your life. I'm not saying it's not a big deal for sin. I'm saying it is a huge deal for sin. That's why Jesus came. He came to take away the sin of the world. Now, the only thing that men need to do to get saved is put their faith in the sacrifice that God sent, and that's of his own son, Jesus. And put your faith in him, and then you know what? You get to enjoy the benefit of that forgiveness. And what Jesus didn't come to, you know, he didn't say that I've come because you need forgiveness. He said, I've come because you need life. I've come that they might have life. It wasn't that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and needed God to forgive them. It was Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and died, and they needed to be, have life again. Jesus come to give you life. And what kind of life? More abundant. Have a life of full measure. That's what Jesus comes. And that's what salvation does. It gives you life. And you live that life and you walk that life. Now, this is the time of year that we remember these. Hey, God's got a calendar. He did all four exactly. He's going to do these latter three. And hey, you know, and if you don't want to believe he's going to come one year on the Feast of Trumpets, that's cool. It's all right for you to be wrong. I'm pretty laid back. I don't care. I mean, I just want you to be ready whenever he comes, whenever he comes. But I do believe now that I've seen God's calendar, I can't ignore it. The whole New Testament is filled about the trumpets and watch and be watchful. And he tells us, you're, 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 you should know this, guys. I just read the scriptures. You're not of the dark. You're not of the night. That day's not going to come on you like a thief. That's what we all grew up here. Like a thief, you know, any minute rapture, the Lord's going to come for you and get to the car. You know, you better get your butt right, you know, because you could die on the way home and all that stuff. God don't use threats, and, and he don't dangle your little hell on a rock stick try to get you. To, he, he's good enough by himself. He really is. I want you to stand with me. I hope you got something out of this. Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Oh, uh, man, what a wonderful day. God loves his kids, man.
know, in my heart of hearts, knowing this, that I've done and I've studied this for so many years, and it was such a treasure for me to finally find it in the Bible, to see it. It brought so much peace to me. And uh, every year when we start approaching that, th these fall feasts, when we enter into that seventh month on God's calendar, in my heart I just say, Lord, is this the year you're coming? And, of course, you know, there was no church service on the Feast of Trumpets on when it happened, you know. But I'm at home, and, I'm, and so I know when it's coming. And that's why we don't know the day and the hour because sometimes they couldn't see the moon. And, they, and actually, in Orthodox Jewish today, they give the trumpets. They give it two days. They, the Jews give it 48 hours because that's, where, that's what they mean when they say nobody knows the day or the hour because trumpets could be on this day or it could be the next day depending on when they see that moon. And that's why he said to watch. Always be watchful and looking for the appearing of that. Now, what we're looking for in the New Testament, Paul said, is the appearing of the Son of Man. And... and, and and so in my heart, you know, I, I have like that 48-hour period where I'm kind of, you know, going about my day. But like any minute now, I could be gone. <laughs> Is this the year? And then when it passes, and I realize we've gone past the time of trumpets, and now we're into the days of awe, and, and we're approaching the day of atonement. I say, Lord, it wasn't this year, huh? But, Lord, we expect it and look for you again to come. And it doesn't bring sadness, really. It's just we got things to do, and we got time to see people that don't know Christ to be born again. And that's your family, and that's your friends, and that's your co-workers, amen? But you know what? They'll never know if you don't open your mouth and tell them. I, I'll tell you this. If you invite them to Grace Point, they won't never be beat up on. And I hear these preachers talking about, man, if you preach truth, you'll empty the church out. No, you won't, dude. The gospel means what? Say it again. What kind of news? Is there any bad news in good news? It's just all good news. So that's all you're going to ever hear here. Because I've been called to preach the gospel of reconciliation, that men be reconciled unto God through Christ Jesus. There's no bad news in that. So we don't have to try to scare the Hades out of you. So if the people could hear the truth, just the real truth, they run to that father. God is God the father. He's not the Godfather. He doesn't shoot people, kill people, break legs, put you in the hospital. God don't do any of that stuff he gets accused of. God don't do any of that. He, 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 we sing the song, he's a good, good father. That's who he is. And, 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 it's not, and I'm not trying to make God better than he is. He's better than I could ever describe to you. But that's who he is, and he's working off of his calendar, and God ain't biting his fingernails, and he ain't nervous. Okay? And he's got it, he's got it timed out, and God's going to fulfill it all seven, just like he did the first four. And I pray that brings you peace. Amen? God bless you. Go and sin no more. Hallelujah. We love you.